I felt it would be cool to actually start off by just sharing the word and sharing what God has placed on my heart. And it's been over the past couple of weeks. Um, I feel the Holy Spirit has been saying something over and over again. And so what I would like to do this morning is actually just extend the conversation that I've been having to God about myself with all of you and just share what I've been talking to God about a little bit. So I'm asking this morning, we shouldn't be too long, but I'm asking this morning that open your hearts, open your minds, allow the Holy Spirit to do something. Don't treat this as just another service. I think for me, one of the things that from a young age, I don't know who taught me it or how I learned it, but I genuinely believe every single time I come into the presence of God, something in me needs to shift. Something in me needs to change. So I, every single time, it might be a prayer meeting at a home, it might be a gathering, it might be a service like this, every single time I come in with an expectation that God is going to do something in me. Because we, we remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood, and she fights her way through the crowd and touches the hem of his garment. And her entire life is changed. But you see, you and I are different. We don't touch the hem of his garment. He wraps his robe around us. We don't have to fight our way through the crowd because he's in us. So how much more do we not have access to the source of life and the one who heals, the one who brings liberty and freedom, the one who sets the captives free, binds up the brokenhearted? How much more do we not have access to Jesus when he dwells within us? So I want to encourage us this morning, open your heart, open your mind, Allow the Holy Spirit to come and touch you and change you and transform you in a way that you will leave a different person this morning. I want to share with us what I think is the one of the primary keys to becoming the best Christian you possibly can be. Who would like to be the best Christian they possibly can be? It's a look. Elaine. <laughs> I'm like, that sure it is. Wow. Pride. So let's go on a little bit of a, a journey. But I feel that this is the key. Many of us will think, I need to be able to recite an entire verse off by heart like Jethro. Half a verse. <laughs> If you're able to recite half a verse off by heart, it's a good thing. Many of us feel that we need to be able to sing like Carmel or Mally or Ben or me. <laughs> if you can, it's a good thing. Many of us feel that we need to be functioning or operating in some sort of ministry. Some of us feel that if we're not doing something, we're not doing enough. Alison. <laughs> But in fact, all of these things are good things and nice things, and dare I say, even sweet things. But they're not the thing. And I want to chat to you about the one qualification Jesus looks for in a man and a woman of God. I want to talk to you about how Jesus describes his Father, how Jesus describes himself. And if we allow this word this morning to both cut our hearts a little bit because there will be a bit of a challenge to it and I want you to be able to look at your life honestly and openly fooling me fooling the people to your left and your right it'll give you a good morning and you'll be able to get through the day but you have to keep it up day after day after day and one day you'll stand before God and all of creation and he'll look at you and say I, I didn't know you you went to church, you did all of these things. In fact, he says, you'll prophesy, you'll cast out demons, you'll do all of these things, but I didn't know you. And so this morning, I want to discuss with us, how do we become the best possible Christians and followers of Christ that we can be? The first verse I want to read this morning is John two seventeen, and it says, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. 
Shall we see Jesus? Who all knows the story about Jesus turning over the tables in the temple? Just show of hands. Who knows the story? If you don't know the story, I'll explain it quickly. That's honest, Savannah. I like that. Um, so basically what had happened is the temple of God, men and women have come on. So it's mostly men to blame this time, not like the Garden of Eden. Men were the problem now. <laughs> And what they'd done is they turned the church, the temple, into a marketplace. So they were selling things, bartering things. In fact, they were actually exchanging currency and ripping people off. And so Jesus walks into the temple the one day and sees what's going on. And it's all done in the temple. It's all done even by some of the sort of esteemed religious people. They're all part of this. And they turned the house of God, the temple, into this marketplace that actually was ungodly and unfair and corrupt. And Jesus walks in and actually turns and throws the tables over. He brings a whip and drives people out. And his disciples are watching this. Jesus, tender, gentle, meek and mild, now turning over tables and driving people out with a whip. And if you think it was a, a reaction from Jesus, it wasn't. Because it says he comes into the temple, sees what's going on, and it says he goes away and prepares a whip. So Jesus, he comes and looks, okay? Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> I'll be back. Goes, prepares a whip. Slowly but surely takes and prepares. So it wasn't this overreaction. No, no, he knew exactly what he was doing. This wasn't a wobble or a pop. No, no, no. This was calculated and strategic. So he goes away and prepares a whip. And then he comes back and says, Terminator vibes, I'm back, you know. <laughs> and then throws over the tables and drives people out of the temple. And his disciples are watching this thinking, whoa, what's going on? I haven't seen this side to Jesus before. And then they remember that it says in Psalms, it says, zeal for your house will consume me. And yet we see Jesus being consumed by a zeal for God's house. And the Greek word there, zeal, actually means two things. It means this fiery passion, but also jealousy. The Bible describes God as a jealous God. And the reason He's a jealous God is He wants all of you, not just part of you. He doesn't just want your Sunday morning or your Wednesday come. He wants every single part of you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We all think, God, here's my prophetic gifting. God, here's my singing. Here's the good parts of me. No, no. He wants every single part of you. In fact, He wants the things in you that aren't of Him more, but He wants the good. He wants your insecurity, he wants your fear, he wants your shame, your guilt. He wants all of those things because that is not of him. So he says, you give me your ashes and I'll give you crowns of beauty. So I want to encourage us that as he says zeal, it's this jealous God that looks at his church and says, I don't want this in my church. I want my church to be the pure and spotless, undefiled, beautiful bride I have called and created her to be. And zeal consumes him. So we see Jesus with this fiery passion and this jealousy in his heart where he doesn't want anything to defile his father's house. And the word devour there, it says, zeal will consume me. The word consume means to devour. Jesus is eaten up. He's devoured by this jealousy and this passion for his house. Devoured, consumed. Every part of him is completely and totally swallowed up. Taken hold of, taken captive by one thing and one thing only. A jealous, fiery passion for the house of God. And I want to encourage us, the house of God is here. The house of God is here too. Do you have a zeal for your own life to be consumed by God? Is there, is there a fiery passion in your heart? A jealousy in your heart where you say, God, I don't want that to distract me. I don't want that to dilute your, 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 your fire and your passion in my heart. I don't want there to be sin or compromise or anything. I want to be completely and totally consumed by you, God. 
devoured by you, devoured by a fiery, jealous passion where I give you all of me and I hold nothing back. So just as Jesus was consumed and overcome by zeal for his father's house, I want to encourage you this morning. Will you become consumed with zeal over yourself as God's dwelling place? Would you guard your own temple as Jesus guarded his father's temple? Will you drive out whatever needs to be driven out? Will you turn over tables? Will you drive out whatever needs to be driven out in your own life, in your own temple as Jesus did it in his father's house? Because the Bible says you have now become the dwelling place of God. Your body is the temple of God. So I want to encourage every single one of us, be zealous over your own life. Allow God to completely and totally consume you, that everything that's not of Him within you, you drive it out because it comes at too high a cost. Zeal has consumed me for my Father's house. Will you allow zeal this morning to consume you for this house, but also for this house? I would love for every single one of us. It's not up to myself and Ian and some of the elders up front. I would love every single one of us to be consumed by zeal for this house. To be consumed by zeal for what God is doing in Milneton. To be watchmen on the wall here in Milneton. Where if we see anything that is not of God, we go and prepare our whip. We go and turn tables. Whatever it takes, we will protect his bride because we are jealous and passionate about the house of God. Is that cool? So I want to be a people that are consumed by God. Consumed by His house. I want to be a people that are burning with a jealous, fierce, and fiery passion within us. And that is what I want to talk to us about this morning. The only qualification Jesus looks for is he looks for fire. He looks for burning ones. He looks for men and women filled of passion, filled of fire, filled of zeal. We can call it hunger. We can call it thirst, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, he's looking for someone that is consumed with zeal for him, his people, and his house. He's not looking for theologians. He's not looking for great teachers. He's not looking for great prophets. He will make you great. What he wants to find is a man and woman burning inside with something of God. That's the qualification he wants. He will work on your character and mold and shape and prepare you. But will you allow the Holy Spirit to burn within you like he's never burned before? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to set you ablaze and make you shine and radiate in a way you've never shone and radiated before? Romans 12, 11 says this. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Another translation, the NIRV says this. Never let the fire in your heart go out. Keep it alive. Serve the Lord. Never let the fire in your heart go out. Keep it alive. Serve the Lord. Never let the fire in your heart go out. Keep it alive. Serve the Lord. How do you serve the Lord? By never letting the fire go out in your heart. He's not as interested in what your hands can do as to what your heart is holding. Steward the fire of God within you and give yourself to burning in a way you haven't burned before. I'm going to repeat it one more time. Never let the fire in your heart go out. Keep it alive. Serve the Lord. If you want to spend your life serving the Lord, don't look for ministry. Don't look for the next thing. Look to burn for Jesus. If you want to spend your life serving the Lord, don't try and impress people. Give yourself to being set ablaze by Jesus. It's to keep the fire burning.
Leviticus 6.13 says this, Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. The picture here of the Levitical priests in the Old Testament, they would prepare the sacrifices and put the meat on the altar. God would send the fire. So God sends the fire. It's this beautiful picture of us. God sends the fire, but it's their job to keep the fire burning. God will send the Holy Spirit to set you ablaze, but it's your job to keep the fire burning. How do you do that? Put yourself in the right places. Come to gatherings. Come to where Jesus is being worshipped. Put yourself in the right places. Surround yourself by the right people. And live your life with the right patterns. Not here today, gone tomorrow, up and down. If you put yourself in the right place, if you come to church and worship God, if you're meeting together in a calm week, if you're meeting with others during the week, if you put yourself in the secret place, you will find yourself positioning yourself at best where the Holy Spirit can set you ablaze. If you surround yourself with the right people, People that will encourage, people that will inspire, people, as Jethro said this morning, will speak into your life. The easiest way, if, if I have a fire burning here, how do I, and, I, and I've got a piece of wood here, how do I get the wood to burn? Proximity. I just got to touch the fire. Put yourself in places where there's fire. Put yourself around people where there's fire. Fire ignites via proximity. The closer you are to the burning flame, the more chance you have of burning yourself. And live your life in the right patterns. Don't be inconsistent. Be faithful. I love the fruit of the Spirit. It starts off with the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, all these wonderful things. And it says self-control at the end. You can have every fruit of the Spirit, but it's not, if it's not governed by love and self-control, you're going to be going nowhere in life. And many of us burn today and not tomorrow because we lack self-control. We give our ears to the voices of the world. We put ourselves in the wrong places or amongst the wrong people, and we find our fire dying down. But I want to tell you this morning, the single qualification he wants from you is to burn in a way that is unreasonable. When people look at you and they see the decisions you're making, they see this, the actions you're doing, that seems unreasonable. Fire is very unreasonable. Fire doesn't care about what your plans are. Fire consumes whatever it comes into contact with. Give yourself to burning by placing yourself in the right place, being amongst the right people, and living life with the right patterns. Revelation 3, verse 15 and 16 says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold or hot. So because you are luke... I don't like that word. <laughs> because you are semi-warm. And neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. God is not asking you to live a Christian lifestyle. Many of us dabble in Christianity and we live a Christian lifestyle where we never fully in the world but never fully laid down. He's not asking you to live a Christian lifestyle. He's asking you to lay your life down. Not to put Christianity on as a fashion accessory, as a cool shirt or jacket or cap that we wear every now and then. He's not interested in the lifestyle. He's interested in the life laid down. And I want to encourage you this morning, step by step, day by day, lay your life down. It's never a destination. I've been walking with the Lord for 39 years. I'm 39 years old. I'm like some ancient dude. But I'm actually 72. The Holy Spirit has sustained me. I haven't known a day away from Jesus my entire life. And still, every day, there are things he asks me to lay down. So you never arrive at this place of fully surrendered. You never arrive at this place of fully dead. 
One day when we're face to face with Jesus, yes. But here, it's a daily choice. And I want to encourage you, don't live a Christian lifestyle that has all the appearances of Christ, but misses Christ. Lay your life down where nothing else matters but Jesus. And the appearance won't even be necessary because you will be in him and he will be in you and his fruit will just grow everywhere. Ian came to me this morning and he shared John 15, which is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, and it speaks about the vine. And many of us want to grow fruit to be like Christ. We want to be more like Jesus. It is impossible to be more like Jesus without Jesus. You want to be more like Jesus? In fact, I'll go so far as to say, don't worry about being more like him. Just come close enough. Because when you're in him and he is in you, the Bible says that fruit will begin to grow. The fruit is not of your own accord or your own ability, your own power. It's simply being connected to the vine. You being in the vine, the vine being in you. And I'm telling you this morning, if you give yourself to the fire, you will burn in ways you've never imagined. Your life will be transformed and changed. And you'll find yourself not wanting to live a lifestyle that appears to be like Christ, but a life fully laid down so I can pick up the life of Christ. God is not asking us to do more. That's often the solution with Christianity. I'm going to tell you something, doing more can get in the way of your relationship with Jesus. Because you just keep telling yourself, if I do one more, one more thing, if I pack out one more chair, if I meet one more person, if I pastor one more, if I just serve one more, then maybe, no, 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 no. I'm not here this morning asking you to do more. In fact, if anything, I'm asking you to do less. Because I don't want you to try and find Jesus in your own ability, on your own effort, in your own striving. I'm, I'm not asking you to do more. I'm asking you to burn more. Stand still long enough in the right place with the right people and you'll find something of the life of Christ beginning to burn. The answer isn't doing more. The answer is burning more. A busy people never change the world, but a burning, <clears throat> but a burning people transform nations and generations. I remember during COVID we had this lockdown and no one really knows how long it was. It started and then sort of like phases. And I don't know, it's the best time of my life. I got to sit at home with Jesus. <laughs> it was such a good time. I know some of you battled. I'm sorry, I empathize. I've offended anyone, I apologize. It's just another Sunday. But I enjoyed lockdown. And we all said, this has never happened before. And now all of a sudden all the conspiracy theories come out and government and this. There's never been a lockdown like this before. But I want to tell you of the greatest lockdown the world has ever seen. 400 years there was a lockdown. For 400 years between the Old Testament and the Gospels there was a lockdown. We find Jesus speaking in the Old Testament through his prophets, through his priests. And then all of a sudden, he stops. Not Jesus, God. All of a sudden, God stops speaking. And for 400 years, they never heard a single word from God. For 400 years, the heavens appeared to be locked down. God's voice was silence. He was quiet. And for 400 years, they had to find their way and figure this thing out by themselves. Right between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. And then after 400 years, the waters start stirring. The atmosphere starts shifting and changing. 400 years of deathly silence. 400 years of nothing. And all of a sudden, something in the atmosphere begins to change. The greatest lockdown in the world 
was ended by one man. And you're going to assume it's Jesus. It wasn't. It was a man that would walk in the wilderness wearing camel skin. A man that would walk in the wilderness eating locusts and honey. For the first time in 400 years, a prophet of God arose. A man called John the Baptist came out of the wilderness, not only the wilderness in the natural, but the wilderness in the spirit. And he said, prepare the way, for the Lord is coming. And we see that this man, the single man, John the Baptist, ends the greatest lockdown the world has ever seen. And how does Jesus describe him? Jesus says two things about John the Baptist. He says, this is the greatest prophet ever born of a woman. The greatest prophet ever. John the Baptist never actually recorded any major prophecies. Never performed any notable or known miracles. All that he did was look at the Son of God and say, Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. So we find 400 years of lockdown being ended in a moment by one man that Jesus describes as the greatest of all men. And Jesus describes him a second time. And Jesus says, John was a blazing torch. In the wilderness, John was a burning lamp. It wasn't a distinguished or refined man. It wasn't an educated, even gifted man. It was a man that no known miracles, no known significant prophetic words, but it was a man that burnt and blazed and was set on fire. And all that the lockdown needed to end was one man willing to be set ablaze for Jesus, unlike anyone ever before. And Jesus looks at him and says, he is a burning lamp, a blazing torch in the wilderness. And Jesus is looking for burning torches and blazing lamps and radiant people shining with everything God has for them to end lockdowns and bring breakthrough and shatter darkness in people's lives. There was no qualification that qualified John other than he was a burning one. And he's looking for John the Baptist to rise up today because all that we need to do is say, behold the Lamb. When people come to us and say, what's happening with you? Why are you different? Why why are you so full of joy and peace and hope? What is different about you? All we do is behold the Lamb and be a generation that points people to Jesus. Behold the Lamb. Why are you so victorious? Why are you so bold? Why are you so courageous? What is it about you that sets you apart? And we'll go, don't worry about me. Don't worry. Behold the Lamb. And as burning ones and blazing ones, all we're called to do is point people to Jesus and say, behold the Lamb. Can we be a generation and a people that burn and blaze with a holy zeal, consumed by one thing? Beholding the Lamb. Jesus looks at us and says in the next scripture, it's Matthew 5.14. He looks at his disciples and he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The disciples were looking to Jesus and saying, you are the light of the world. And Jesus says, no, you are. And what happens is, is, as Kate gives herself to burning, as Zane gives himself to burning, as Elaine, as Gordon, as Nathan, as Enya, as we give ourselves to burning and we become blazing torches and we become these, these, these burning lamps, What happens is you bring your light and I bring my light. And once enough of these lights have gathered, we find a city. Because you turn, you go look across the bay at night and you see all these little lights. Every single individual light brought together makes a city. And God has called every single one of us to burn in a way that when we gather, we become a city that it cannot be hidden. We become the light of the world. We become the hope of salvation. We become the answer to what God is wanting to do here on earth now. But I'm not a city if you're not burning with me. 
I'm not a city if we're not burning together. As you burn, I burn. As I burn, you burn. And together, it's Jesus says, you're the light of the world. You are a city that cannot be hidden. As we give ourselves to burning, we become the city of God. As we give ourselves to burning, we become something that cannot be ignored, that cannot be hidden. We become the light of the world. John 1 verse 5 says this, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's the same thread that God has called us to be light in the dark. He's called us to be blazing torches in the wilderness. And John writes here and says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We become the light in the darkness. We become the ones who overcome the darkness. God has called you to be an overcomer by merely shining your light and burning, not doing anything else, but just burning in dark places, burning in the wilderness. You become an overcomer in everything that you do. And in Revelation 3, he says this, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. How do you become an overcomer? By letting yourself burn in the darkness. By becoming light in the darkness. And it says, when you become an overcomer, I will grant you to sit with me on my throne. You want to be seated in heavenly places with God. Become the light in the darkness. Become the one who overcomes the darkness. Become the city set on a hill. Become the blazing torch in the wilderness. And you will become the one who is granted to sit on his throne with him. You'll become an overcomer when you give yourself to burning with holy seal. Not more of this and more of that. Burning with holy zeal. It says here we will be seated with him on his throne. You want to be seated with God on your throne? On his throne? Give yourself to being set ablaze by the Holy Spirit. Set ablaze by Jesus. We want to see a people burning more brightly than ever. Day after day. Night after night. Week after week. Month after month. Year after year. One of the greatest oppositions to burning is familiarity. I've been a Christian for X amount of years. I've done this. And all of a sudden, complacency, camouflaged as maturity, begins to rise up within us. I've been doing this for so long. I was a part of the city bowl plant. I was a part of the original Sunningdale uh, plant. I've been doing this for so long. I know everything. My mom was a pastor. My dad was a pastor. Complacency will disguise itself as maturity. And you will look at the youth and go, oh, they're worshipping wildly and passionately. Ah, they're young. No. You've grown complacent. You've allowed the fire in your heart to die down. God is not a God of plateauing. God is not a God that wants to just continue the way it's been going. The Bible says that God takes us from strength to strength and from glory to glory. And God wants to take every single one of us from burning to blazing. He doesn't want that fire to even stay the same. He wants that fire to grow and to increase more and more day by day, night by night. Hebrews 12 verse 29 says this, For our God is an all-consuming fire. God himself identifies as a fire. God himself looks and says, I am a consuming fire. And the word of God says that we were created in his image. How much more should we not be consuming fires? How much more should we not be consumed by fire? We have this consuming fire within us. We're created to be in his image. Everything about us should be a picture of someone set ablaze and burning 
for Jesus. The challenge is this. When the fire of God comes, John the Baptist says this. He says, it's not in my notes. I don't even think it's up there. He says, I baptize with water. But there's one coming whose sandals I'm not worthy to tie that baptizes with water and fire. Is it up there? It's in my notes. With spirit and fire. And so as we burn, a part of that burning process is God burns away everything that is not of Him. A part of that process is He removes everything that is not of Him. Job 23 says this, He knows the way that I take. He has tried me and I shall come out as gold. So God knows your paths. He knows you and He puts you in this fire and He refines you and purifies you and makes you come out as pure gold. The next scripture says this in Isaiah, Behold, this is God speaking, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? I will not give my glory to another. What is the glory of God? When he says I will not give my glory to another, the glory of God is you and I becoming more and more like Jesus. That is God's glory manifest on earth. When you and I become more and more like his son Jesus. How does he do this? He says in Isaiah 48, I place you in the furnace of affliction. So as we burn for God, not only are we consumed with holy zeal and fire for Him, but everything that is not of Him gets burnt and taken away. And we come out the other side shining as pure gold. I want to ask everyone, don't be afraid. Last week we, we read a scripture that says, be patient in affliction. Don't be afraid of the trying, testing times where it feels like I'm in the fire. Because God is doing something in you that's going to make you come out the other side. Pure, holy, righteous, beautiful, looking more and more like Him. He's going to remove everything that is not of Him. But we have to give ourselves to burning. Revelation 2 verse 2 says this, I know, and this is now... Jesus speaking, and he's, he's speaking to the church in Ephesus, and we know this scripture, but I want to read it, and it says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but... I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. He's looking into the church in Ephesus, and he says, you're doing everything so well. He would look at us and go, your comms are amazing. Your comm leaders are amazing. Your, your ticket sales for conference are amazing. Your hosting is amazing. Your tithing's amazing. Your worship's amazing. Your pastoring and counseling, your fellowship, it's all amazing. But I have this one thing against you. You've abandoned what you had at first. Your first love. Another translation says, you've abandoned the passionate love you had for me. At the beginning. He looks at the church in Ephesus and they do all of these amazing things. And this might be a picture of your life. Don't let the idea of maturity cost you your passion. Don't let the idea of what an adult looks like cost you your youthful zeal. Don't let the idea of what being serious looks like cost you the wild passionate first love that you once burned. You can gain all of these things. But forget the one thing. Jesus goes on in that scripture to speak to the church in Ephesus and he says, with all the good things you've done, 
if you've lost your first love, I'm actually going to put your candle out. Meaning it doesn't matter what you've done. If you don't love me, you're not going to be seated in eternity with me. The first scripture we spoke about, we prophesy, we cast our demons. But he doesn't know us because we lost our first love. A few verses later in the same chapter, it says this. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. It's Revelation 3.19. I'm going to ask Liesl to come up, please. Is Liesl here? No. Mally. It's Mally here. Guitar, strum. Dave can come. I want to. I want to go to the first scripture again. Revelation three, verse fifteen and sixteen. Let's go back to that one, Joe. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. And he says, because you are lukewarm. I will spit you out of my mouth. And he he rebukes the church in Ephesus and says, you've done all of these things. Maybe that's some of us this morning. Oh, I've been leading calm. Oh, I've been a Christian for 40, 50 years. I've done all of these things. But do you love him as much as you first did? Did you love him as much as when you first knew him? When you couldn't shut up, everywhere you went you told people about Jesus. The waiter, the, the, the petrol attendant, every single person. You told them about Jesus, you couldn't stop. your first love nothing else nothing else matters he looks at all of your works and says that's cool that's good thank you but if it's come at the price of you burning if it's come at the price of you blazing if it's come at the price and the cost of you not having your first love I don't want it Forget everything you can do for me. I don't want that. I don't need that. I just want you. I just want to be your first love. I just want to know you and to be known by you. I don't want what you can do for me. I just want you. He speaks about, Jesus speaks about being lukewarm and he, a few verses later, he's in the same chapter, Revelation 3.19, he says, those whom I love are reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens, come in and eat with him and he with me a few verses earlier he looks at you and says you've done all of these things but you've lost your first love and if you're lukewarm if you're not neither hot nor cold I have no choice but to spit you out of my life out of my mouth and say I do not know you And then he gives us the answer and he says, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. The answer to be on fire for Jesus is simply, opening up the door.
couldn't be a more serious message, a more life-changing and life-transforming moment. And he looks at us and says, you've lost your first love. But behold, I'm still at the door and I'm still knocking. Jesus says to you, you've lost your first love. You've become lukewarm. You've gotten busy with a whole bunch of things and they disguise themselves as me, but they're not me. But I'm still at the door of your heart right now and I'm knocking. I'm knocking. All you need to do is open up and let me in and I will come and be with you. And you will be with me. And I want to ask you this morning, are you burning with the same fire you once burned? Are you carrying that first love that you once had for Jesus that made everything else unimportant? Are you burning in a way that is unreasonable, that the world looks at it and doesn't understand it? Are you a light in the dark? Because he wants to come into your heart this morning and be with you you with him and nothing else matters I want us all to take a moment just to bow our heads and close our eyes you this morning if you feel Jesus knocking on your heart and you feel him saying I want to be your first love again if you feel Jesus knocking on your heart and saying I want you to burn for me like you've never burned before if you feel Jesus knocking on your heart and saying I don't want what you can do I just want you I want you to come stand in front here with us please Jesus performs so many miracles he asks the person to take a step of faith he says to the lame man pick up your mat and walk he says to Peter come and there's so often a step of faith we need to take and I want to ask you this morning don't allow familiarity to prevent you from meeting with Jesus this morning and for him to do something in your heart. Every single person up front here today has said, God, I care more about what you think than what others think. And I I feel that there are still people seated here today that out of a, a step of faith should come forward and say, I'm tired of all the burdens. I just want to burn. 
I'm tired of making it everything. It shouldn't be religion and busyness. And I just want to burn. And by coming up front this morning, you're saying, Jesus, I'm opening the door of my heart. And I want to ask you this morning, don't miss this opportunity. He is here this morning and he's knocking on the door of your heart and saying, just let me in. Please let me in and I will come in and be with you and you will be with me. And I will cause you to be set ablaze and burn so that you too can be an overcomer, so that you too can be seated on my throne with me for eternity. I'm not looking for a capable people. I'm looking for a burning people. I'm not looking for people that can do, but people that can burn. So I want to ask you if that's you this morning, come forward. Keep your eyes closed and just have a conversation with God and say, here I am. I'm opening the door to my heart. I'm opening the door to my life. I want to burn again like I once burned. I want that first love to return to me when nothing else matters but you. And maybe for you this morning, it's repenting and going, God, sorry for allowing the flame of my heart to be burdened and covered by the things even of church, even good things. says never let the flame in your heart go out keep the fires burning father you say in your word that you stand at the door and you knock and if we open that door that you will come in and be with us and we will be with you. And Father, right now, every single one of us, open the door to our heart and say, would you come in? Come in and be with me and me with you. Have all of me. And I have all of you.